Greetings, this is Dr. Chris Bergwald, Director of Evangelization and Catechesis with the Catholic Diocese of Sioux Falls, and I'm happy to introduce the following presentation from a Faith for Life seminar held in Sioux Falls on November 15, 2008, on the topic of the genius of woman, being a Catholic woman in the 21st century. The presenter is Dr. Elizabeth Mitchell. Dr. Mitchell is the Dean of Students and a teacher at Trinity Academy, a Catholic school near Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Dr. Mitchell did her doctoral work at the Pontifical University of the Holy Cross in Rome, where she was the first layperson to receive the doctorate in communications from that institution. Dr. Mitchell has also written studies for the National Catholic Women's Organization in Dow, specifically on the topic of St. Edith Stein and her work. This is the last of three presentations which Dr. Mitchell gave. I hope you enjoy this presentation, and may God bless you stirs that life pours forth to meet him from ourselves this artwork that he's working on and she's going to talk about two ways that he forms us as his image as an image that he's creating gentle finger strokes and chisel blows <laughs> and that those are the two ways that an artist creates an artwork the very fine detail work and the big chisel blows and both are apparent in her life and she says they're actually both apparent in our lives, too. And that if we're corresponding to the divine artist's idea of us, we are capable of becoming a masterpiece. She says not every artwork turns into a masterpiece, and you know a masterpiece when you see it. That it is the most perfect correlation to the idea that the artist had that it could be. That the Pieta is as close to what Michelangelo intended it to be as it could be, because Michelangelo was that gifted as an artist. Now the divine artist is sublimely gifted, and our becoming a masterpiece has a lot to do with our coinciding with grace. And she said, when you meet a masterpiece that is a human being, you know as well. You think of Pope John Paul II or Mother Teresa, masterpieces walking around this earth. And you know when you meet them that you've met something sublime, someone sublime, and the impact that they can have on you is very, very powerful. So our impact on other people increases as we become more and more the masterpiece that God intends for us. I'm going to structure this quick overview on the arts with some of Stein's famous, fa favorite paintings. Her seminal image is the image of St. John of the Cross. He sketched this in 1577 and it's called the Christ of St. John of the Cross and we'll come back to this at the end but it's a very interesting image because of its perspective it's Christ on the cross but if you think about the perspective the artist sketching that was looking at Christ from the father's perspective that that's God the father viewing the crucifixion and experiencing it that way Stein actually re-sketched this picture to send to a friend. She talks about that. And this image was very, very important to her. Um, she will ultimately call this one of the greatest works of art because the artist himself, John of the Cross, became what the image represented, became a crucified son of the Father as well, in his own asceticism, in his own suffering. That John of the Cross didn't just sketch a glorious crucifixion, John of the Cross embraced the crucifixion in his own life. And therefore, the artwork has that much more.
power. We'll move um, to the next one, and this is called the Island of the Dead. And you think, oh, that's a nice picture, Edith. Oh, can you go back? When Edith was 13, she was in about eighth grade, and her class was choosing a class gift for the teacher. And you think of what eighth graders usually decide to get for a teacher for a class gift. And Stein said, why don't we get him a rendition of the Island of the Dead? <laughs> it's a very sophisticated suggestion for an eighth grader. No one in the eighth grade in our school is planning to give this to their homeroom teacher at Christmas. And it just reveals, beyond being a very interesting um, depiction of the ancient understanding of the afterlife, it's a very, very intriguing look at how sophisticated Stein was as, as an art lover. This had come on display as an exhibition to the Breslau Museum. She had gone and seen it. She loved it. It made an impact on her. And it was something that she was able to offer to someone else as a gift. The next picture is one of her favorite pictures. She liked romantic art. And this is called The Bridal Procession. And it's just a nice happy couple coming out through a grove of trees onto a field. And the way you know that she likes it, she was explaining once how much she loved, loved, loved the German countryside. She loved to be in it. She loved to spend time hiking. Anytime she got, much like Pope John Paul II, Carol Wojtyla would spend time in the outdoors with young people. Stein went on hiking trips whenever she got a chance. And she says in one of her works, Life in a Jewish Family, we all came out from a grove of trees, and it was as if we were part of Ludwig Richter's The Bridal Procession. So I went and found the painting, and I thought, well, what is that image that she had in her mind? And it was this. So it's her ideal image of a group of young people in the German countryside. And it just gives an insight into who she was. Go ahead. Back one. Oops. Back one more. These are called essay themes, Aufsatzthemen. These are Stein's lesson plans. And this is where her, her love of art gets serious in terms of the role art can have in forming other people. Uh, they're in German, but they're in my doctoral dissertation as an appendix because I went to the Carmel of Cologne and this wonderful, um, in her 80s sister, Sister Amata Nair, who wrote the yellow book that's there, said, you know, I really like the dissertation topic you're doing, which was Stein's view of the arts, and I have something in a file I think you'd like. And she went shuffling, she had a walker, back into a, a room, and she came out and she handed me about 20, they were unpublished, they're now in the doctorate, of Stein's essay themes or lesson plans. And she gave me the ones that had to do with Stein planning in exposure to the arts for her, for her students. And some of the... Um, I'll just tell you what some of the essay themes there say. They're asking questions like, what impact can the arts have on the life of a child? What effect can a good book have on the soul of a child? Why do we cultivate music? How does a visit to the theater affect the inner life of the young? And what educational value does it have? She asks about characters like Brutus from Julius Caesar. And she says that taking students to the theater or exposing them to art and any person being exposed to this, she says, why is it so important? Above all, human destinies and human actions are produced in history and literature. Beauty in all of its ramifications are shown. Truth 
and the searching human spirit is produced in fiction. It is everything that works in this world, and we can awaken joyful emotion for authentic beauty. The more we're exposed to authentic beauty, we have joy in its presence. Authentic beauty and goodness, and on the contrary, disgust for that which is base and vulgar. There's so much that's ugly in our culture, but the only way you can know it's ugly is to see its opposite, which is beauty. The beauty of a, of a, of a church, for example, what's going on upstairs. And thus it is of extraordinary significance that the child's education be placed in the hands of people who have themselves received a proper formation and understand the arts. So she really says expose young people to beauty so they know what it is, so they have a taste for it. And then they will have a distaste for the sawdust that is the ugly. Go ahead. She also talks about the beauty of sacred liturgy and how much of an impact that can have on you. She spent every Holy Week she could at an abbey called Buron. And she said, I, this was before she entered the Carmel, she used to write, I feel guilty. Should I be going? Should I be taking time out for myself like this? And she said the reason she went was because the liturgy was so gorgeous there, sung, chant, and liturgy, that it filled her soul and gave her that kind of strength that she needed for all of the rush of the working months that were ahead of her. And that sacred beauty was very important to her. Carmel celebrates liturgy in a more um, simple way, but Carmel, when she joined, has a spirituality of celebrating feasts with drama and the arts. If you've ever seen the picture of St. Therese of Lisieux dressed as Joan of Arc, that's because in Carmel, plays were put on on feast days. And here's Stein, who loves the arts, entering an order that celebrates in the arts. And she compiled what this is called, a mass and office in honor of the Blessed Mary, Queen of Peace. And you remember that the Church of Mary, Queen of Peace, is where she went before she left Cologne. She had a real dedication to that. There are also fun things. She wrote the plays sometimes for the Carmel. And on her own 50th birthday, they put on a play of the Old Testament greats. And she says, just think, I saw in the play not only Abraham, but Enoch and Noah as well, Isaac and Jacob, Moses and Aaron, David, Elijah, and Elisha. They all appeared just as they are described in the book of Ecclesiasticus. Abraham was a most distinguished personage, played by Mother Sub-Prioress. As for Moses, only his nose was impressive. The rest of him was small and quaint. The reverse of his tablet of the commandments was seen to be last week's kitchen list, and he was played by Sister Agatha. But the Carmel said this is important to reproduce the lives of the Old Testament heroes in a play. Oh, okay. Go back. Um, this also is. This was compiled by Edith Stein, but it was never. Um, it was never approved. It was never published, and it's also in my doctorate. And Father Peter was given the gift because he was a new priest to be presented in a private audience to Pope John Paul II, and his parents and siblings got to go with him. So I went with him, maybe two years before the Pope died, and I brought this mass. And I gave it to Pope John Paul II, and I explained that it was a mass in honor of Our Lady of Queen of Peace compiled by Edith Stein, and that it had been in the Carmelite archive but was given to me for the doctorate. So it was given to Pope John Paul II, and maybe we'll hear about it 
one day down the road, it's a mass to be sung with all the readings, beautiful readings. She pulls readings from the book of Esther and uh, the book of the Apocalypse, which is pretty interesting. Stein's, Stein's an interesting lady um, for the mass. So, thank you. This is an interesting picture, only because it's a statue Stein went to see and never saw. Stein was in Frankfurt on that day when she went to the cathedral, and they also wanted to go to um, a museum where a copy of the Athene was on hand. And she, as an esthete, a lover of art, wanted to go and see it, and she went to the museum to see it. But she never got there. She always jokes it was in the room she never got to because as she was walking through the rooms of the museum, she saw the following. It's the next picture. This. Flemish burial scene. It's a Flemish Pieta. You have Mary Magdalene, John the Baptist, and uh, Joseph of Arimathea with Our Lady burying Christ. There is no Christ because it was lost over time. Stein says she walked through this room and she was transfixed. She couldn't move. She wasn't yet a Catholic. This was on the same day that she saw the lady from the market the mar with the market basket. The Lord was speaking to her. And she was transfixed by this depiction of the sorrowing friends and mother of Christ burying him after his crucifixion. She said she was transfixed, she could not move, and she stood in awe of this scene of figures, um, really in a moment that changed her life. And then we have her ultimate understanding. I'll read you from one of her poems. She has... Um, spiritual poetry that she wrote. Many Carmelites have written spiritual poetry, and Stein's is in a work called The Hidden Life, and it's a collection of her dramatic monologues and poems. And she writes, of course, the Lord leads each on her own path. And what we call fate is the artist's doing, the eternal artist, who creates material for himself and forms it into images in various ways. By gentle finger strokes, and also by chisel blows. But he does not work on dead material. His, the Lord's, greatest creative joy, in fact, is that under his hand the image stirs, that life pours forth to meet him, that life that he himself has placed in it and that now answers him from within to chisel blows or quiet finger stroke. So we collaborate with God on his work of art. Her ultimate name for this collaboration with God on his work of art is the living image. That we become a living image or a living artwork. And a couple of people in this world can certainly be called living images. Um, Mother Teresa, for example. Mother Teresa heard the same gospel we all hear. But she responded with the authentic reaction that the gospel demands. Same message, different response. She becomes a living image to God's call, this radical self-denial and service of the poorest of the poor. Stein says that artists are the same way. They see the same sunset we all see, but they have to do something with it that the average person doesn't have to do, which is depict it in a painting or write about it in a poem or express themselves in art in some way. So if you're an artist, you can't help yourself. If you're a saint, you can't help yourself. Thank goodness. She says that children, saints, and artists have this authentic reaction. 
Um, a child goes to a circus and they cry when the elephant goes by. That's an authentic reaction to an elephant. They're terrified. We're not terrified because we understand that someone's holding the elephant and it's on a rope and people don't get killed at circuses. But children just see a large, towering, four-footed animal that they should rightly be scared of. They're scared of clowns frequently. Clowns are scary individuals. They're not that funny. They're just kind of eerie. So children, saints, and artists can't help responding authentically to their experience. And if you're an artist, you've got to um, write it down. Some people, I think photography is a, is a growing art. It, you, just, you just see things and have to take pictures and, and, and compose pictures, etc. But if we become God's artwork, we then have this ability to communicate to other people all that God intends for us. The interesting thing is that when Stein was in the deportation camp, she was known for having served the mothers who couldn't take care of their children. They were too distraught with the death and the destruction around them. And they couldn't even comb their children's hair, they couldn't wash their children's faces, nothing. And Stein took care of the children on the transport. Um, it's documented that she did that. In fact, there's one depiction of her on a holy card, and she's standing with a Jewish star and the tracks of Auschwitz behind her, and she has a comb in her hand. And you think, well, why does she have that? It's because of this gift of service that she gave um, on the train. And there's a, an excerpt in here from the young girl who had the miracle for Stein's beatification, Teresa Benedicta McCarthy. She said, I never understood that about Stein. I never really understood that. But Teresa Benedicta later in her life um, contracted the symptoms of lupus for a time and could not move any of her joints and had to have a sister comb her hair for her. And she said, what a gift of love that that was. And I suddenly understood this aspect of my patroness. But Stein was described in that in a very artistic way. When I went to act in Carmel in Holland, um, doing my research on Stein. I literally, we got out, I was with a chaplain in Germany, we got out Stein's letters and looked up the return address and got in a car and drove to Holland. And we went to Echt, where Stein was arrested from. And the sisters told me about her arrest, and they said, you know what we heard? We heard that in the scenes of suffering and brutality on the transport, Stein resembled a living Pieta that she was bearing children in her arms in the place where Christ is in the Blessed Mother arms, in the Pieta. They called it the Pieta One Christus, which is the Pieta without Christ. So she was a living Pieta, the children in her arms that she was serving. What a fitting artistic description of her. The sisters who gave it to me had no idea um, the research that I was doing on Stein's understanding of living images, but that she became that masterpiece that the Lord had for her. And I'll close with a, an excerpt from the Pope's letter to artists. He calls all of us to look to the arts. He says the future of the church and of the world needs art. And I would say the future of the church and of the world needs saints. May the beauty which you pass on to generations still to come be such that it will stir them to wonder. Faced with the sacredness of life and of the human person and before the marvels of the universe, 
Wonder is the only appropriate attitude to reestablish a sense of wonder, not indifference, not deadness of heart, wonder. From this wonder, there can come that enthusiasm through which humanity, every time it loses its way, will be able to lift itself up and set out again on the right path. In this sense, it has been said, the Pope concludes with profound insight, that beauty will save the world. So thank you very much. And that concludes it.